0: welcome back to remember to floss uh we are recording this intro how many weeks out after this interview man it's been a minute <laughs> uh this one is a very special one to me and i wanted to put this out they're right around the time special. they all are they're all my special children but i this one in particular because of the topic that we talk about um This is what I like to call Activism 101. Um, We talked to a lovely lady who works with the Ohio Organizing Collaborative, which is an innovative nonprofit uniting community, organizing labor, faith, and policy organizations for racial, social, and economic justice in Ohio. She is Molly Shack and she's wonderful. And um, we learn a lot about grassroots organizing in this particular podcast. We learned about her background a little bit, which I thought was very, very interesting. And I mean, it's good to know how to get involved, right? I mean, we always talk about, you know, ever since the election, like how, you know, how can one contribute more to, you know, to change and to, and to making things better for your own community and so on and so forth. Well, in this podcast, you'll get to learn that. So if you live in Columbus, um, you should listen to this one because I think it'll make a big difference in how you see organizing in general. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, and just if you want to learn about being a grassroots organizer, you know?
1: I would say um, if you're looking to put forth some action, uh, right, if right. you're looking to uh, put your money where your mouth is. True story. As, uh, has been said on this podcast before, um we'll Molly, have to
0: resurrect that section
1: here soon. Molly provides some great um great avenues, insights. Avenues on, on how to do so. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if you are interested, as she says at the end, please follow her social media and um, you know, the two organizations that she works with as well. Yep. Which are
0: Columbus People's Partnership and the Ohio Organizing Collaborative. Perfect. Yes. All right,
1: guys. So uh, here's our conversation with Molly. Hope you guys learn as much as we did from this. Take it away, Molly.
0: We have Miss Molly Shack from Ohio for organizing. Hey, Welcome. Thanks. Okay, so we invited Molly today because this is kind of it's not a it's not a pet project. It's more of a passion project for me. I'm always curious about. Um, people who are active within, I guess like grassroots organizing, mm-hmm. uh, because especially in the time that we live in today, it's more important than ever. And, yeah. um, I was listening to somebody the other day talking about the importance of grassroots organization and and how most people have no clue, have no clue because we've been so blessed the last eight years that we haven't really had to do, or people have been kind of complacent about it. And now they're like, oh shit, we can't be complacent. Well, we have no clue how to do this. So we've invited Molly because she is in it every day. Mm-hmm. And um, it'll be a really interesting conversation because there will be some things that I'm sure we'll all learn from this today. So, yeah. Molly, thanks for coming. It's great
2: thanks to be here. All Absolutely. right.
0: Okay, so first things first, we have to talk about your background because you – is were you a political science major? Was it something that you even like – yeah, no, do not whatever. at all.
2: So there's not like community organizing major at Ohio State. Um, and I really, I wasn't into political science or anything. I was an international relations and diplomacy major, actually doubled with Spanish, had an art minor. Um, I was sort of on an international track, um, was really interested in foreign policy, really interested in sort of the arts and international exchange. Um, had been at OSU, um, sort of involved in different things in the Spanish department mm-hmm. and really wasn't plugged in at all with organizing. So what what happened? Like, where was the turning
0: point for you, I guess?
2: Yeah, so it honestly, it goes back a little bit farther. So when I was in high school, my is sort of when my family was struggling the most economically. And um, I actually, sort of with financial aid and scholarships, was able to go to Ohio State with mm-hmm. pretty much a full ride. Um, I had a work-study job at the Wexner Center, and I Mm -hmm. loved working there, I loved working in the arts. There were all these different sort of international, just really interesting people coming through all the time. And I just was sort of plugged into that that scene there. And um, my sort of freshman year when I was in school, my mom, who had been unemployed before that, picked up a part-time job as a secretary. And so that year, going into my sophomore year, I got my financial aid letter. And I lost ten thousand dollars worth of financial aid and scholarships in one year. Wow! Is that
0: because your mom had gone a part-time job?
2: Right. So wow. I'm like, okay, we got bumped up into the next income bracket. You know, my mom was not paying my bills. You know, right. She got she picked up that job because they needed to cover costs that my you know my my mom and dad had, and so I was just so frustrated because yeah. you know I was like I was a student. I have a little work study job at yeah. at the Wex, and it was it was fun and it was good. I had free time, and so that. Following year, in order for me to stay in school and sort of continue on, mm. I picked up a, another job. I worked at a bar on campus mm-hmm. um, and I was doing catering supplementally. I was sort of doing nannying work supplementally, whatever I could do to sort of yeah you know, make up there, the difference. Yeah, a textbook yeah. alone can be crazy. Oh my and gosh. So, yeah. You know, oh, I remember covering rent, covering books, covering yeah. tuition, and, and trying not to go crazy into debt. Yeah. Um, you know, I had been accepted to art schools and like. New York and Chicago, yeah. I thought I was going to go to Pratt or the Art Institute, and I had sort of gotten accepted, and I decided to go to Ohio State in the first place because I was like, okay, well, I can still do art here, and I... Not being, like, up to my ears in debt when yeah, I graduate? Yeah, with a piece of paper <laughs> that says I'm an artist. Maybe I should maybe yeah. I should stay home and figure out what I want to do. Right, yeah, right. Definitely. So, my that's whole... very That's very, like,
0: smart, because I'm sure... I don't know, man. If that was me, I'd have been like, what? To New York? I'm going to Pratt, and then
2: <laughs> graduate with, like, And then half zero a year later, penny. you've
1: got all the debt, and you can't go anywhere.
2: Yeah, and exactly. most of the people I know who went to Pratt are living glamorous lives. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I should. Have. Maybe but... you picked me.
1: I'm sorry. I'm
0: just kidding. I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> but but so I you know it was it was really frustrating because I thought really I had made the right call and I had yep. sort of made a logical smart decision not mm-hmm. to go up to my ears in debt and there yeah. I was having to go into debt anyway and working three jobs. So really my sort of all through my sophomore, junior, and, and the first part of my senior year, I worked between 40 and 60 hours a week. I was in school full time. Oh my gosh. So it was crazy. Um, and I eventually saved up enough to do a study abroad in Argentina. So I lived a semester in Buenos Aires in the capital there and did a lot of sort of Latin American political thought. I was learning about revolutions and foreign policy and sort of economic policy and sort That's of the, the history yeah. yeah, of the U.S. involvement in Latin America. And so some of the sort of dots were connecting for me about some of the things that I cared about just in general about the world. And so I was at OSU my senior year. And this was sort of at the time there was like Occupy Wall Street was happening. Yeah. People mm-hmm. were sort of talking about the ninety nine percent and one percent. I was like, that's stupid. They're not gonna do anything. Mm-hmm. I was very yeah. I was just like a normal, you know, yeah. not, not super engaged. I couldn't have told you who our city council person or our governor was probably I wasn't really tuned yeah. into politics at all. Yeah. Um, but I had learned all this about sort of American foreign policy, and I had I was sort of going through the process, and I'd been accepted to the Peace Corps, um, and I was going to be teaching English in Latin America, and I, that was sort of my post graduation track. Mm. And sort of as I started to understand more about foreign economic policy and, and, and American policies abroad, um, sort of some of the gear started to switch for me because, you know, people are teaching English or doing foreign aid in Latin America, but if you actually look, NAFTA, which was sort of the uh, North American Free Trade mm-hmm. Agreement, which sort of opens the border for money and capital to move freely, but not people, mm-hmm. it, it massively shifted the economy. It shut down factories in Youngstown and Toledo mm-hmm. and places in Ohio and moved them over the border into Mexico. Mm-hmm. But then you have sort of waves of migration from communities that used to grow corn, which you know, communities where you know, maize is part of the creation story right? Yeah. for indigenous people there. Yeah. You know, they've been growing it for literally millennia, and all of a sudden it's cheaper for them to import corn from the United States that's genetically modified mm-hmm. and subsidized by our government, and so those communities aren't sustainable anymore. So they're moving up to the border in, in massive waves of migration. So all these things are sort of clicking in my head, and then we have immigration reform that people are trying to figure out in the States. Mm-hmm. And so just sort of understanding our role was starting to change for me. And then a friend of mine called me and invited me to to a meeting and I was getting ready to graduate and I was like, well maybe I need something on my resume that says I was involved in something. So I went to a meeting and I started getting a little bit involved with these groups and I ended up at a meeting that was talking about um, higher education and the cost of higher education. And I was looking at this graph and they had a policy organization come in and present and it was like sort of up, 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 down. And I was like, what, what is that? I'm sort of looking, I'm trying, I was kind of tuned in. And it was need-based financial aid in Ohio. Okay. And I was looking at basically between 2005 and 2012 when I was getting ready to graduate. And in 2008, 9 there were huge budget cuts. Mm -hmm. And this is when the state cut billions of dollars from public education, both at the K-12 and at the at the higher education level,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so the, that need-based financial aid is basically what I was getting my education subsidized on my freshman year, mm-hmm. and so the year that I lost all my financial aid was the year that they cut all that money from the budget. Wow! And so for me, it was it was another sort of connecting of the dots and connecting public policy to my own to my own life, where mm-hmm. you know th- this stuff happens all the time. Nobody knows about budget cuts or what's you know. How government policy is affecting what you get in your financial aid letter or your refund check. Right. You know, it's it's right. just like, okay, my mom picked up a job. You know, she needed to do yeah. it. For once, not having enough I thought was helping, but now it's not. Okay, yeah. You know, I wasn't blaming my mom, but it, you right. know, it was just, it was a frustrating situation. Right. But and that was the easiest thing for you to like to pinpoint. To pinpoint. Exactly. Right. I didn't know there were people downtown at the State House who were just like, yeah, no, yeah, these kids don't really need their Their education doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that was. That was the first time that I really connected policy to to the, what my was own happening to you, struggle right. in my own life, and so that was really a, a huge shift for me. And I started getting involved with an organization um, on campus and helped start Ohio Student Association, which was an organization that was connecting college students across campuses in Ohio to get involved in fights like that. Because okay. what happens is, you know, most kids don't even know that the state budget is what funds our education. We don't really know, and we just know sort of day-to-day of going to class and Mm -hmm. you click a button and you accept twenty thousand dollars in loans what does that even mean right right people don't even you can't even really connect that to -hmm. what it actually means in terms of years later i mean most people our age are the ones who actually understand what student loans are like because we're paying them back now oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) right (laughs) it's so true it's so true when you're at 19 what do you know you're just clicking a button and (laughs) and there's really
0: nobody at that age to tell you kind of the the breakdown of financial aid they're just like Here's how you fill out the form. Here's where you need to sign. Here are the dates that you need to fill, like to, to you know, turn it in. And here are all the paperwork you need. Yeah. They don't tell you this is, you know, how you get your money. This mm-hmm. is where it's coming from. This is what you're gonna have to do to pay it back, and so on and so forth. And, and I think that's part of the disconnect with our society in general about all these things about you know budget cuts and whatnot. It's like they don't, they were never taught where all this money is coming from freaking NPR or CBS when the government's about to take away money from, you know, the National Endowment for the Arts and stuff like that. So it's like, it's really interesting because, yeah, you're right. Like I, when I didn't accept my financial aid until I was like 25, I think, because I was, I had left school two years in and then came back and that's when I had to take financial aid. But I still didn't know. And I didn't ask questions Mm -hmm. because I was like, I just need to graduate. So how's it going? how's it gonna work
2: yeah so and, anyways. and that's that's true and I'm you know I was in college I came from a you know two-parent household mm-hmm. all things considered like I had a lot to, to yeah. help me navigate the system and there's right. a lot of people that had much less than I did yeah, yeah. you know which like uh, yeah I mean they don't have any of that
1: um, you could argue though too like it it's not that they don't know uh the, the ins and outs of financial aid it's just maybe that that's kind of the accepted social thing to do. Like if you want to get a good paying job, then you need to go to college in order to be able to do so. And in order to be able to go to college, I mean, we were able to put aside some money, but you need to, you know, have X amount of, student loans in order to be able to mm-hmm. go and mm-hmm. that's just the way that it is yeah it's like, a, I mean it's a cycle right yeah and that's yeah.
2: that's like what being a good kid is right like yeah. that's what they say okay stay in school graduate yeah. go to college yeah. yeah here's your here's your loans that's how you have to do it yeah, yeah. And so pe- everyone's sort of chugging along wanting yeah. to get a good job wanting mm-hmm. to do I mean and, and then end up there's a lot of baristas who are very very in debt
1: right oh yeah oh, oh my yeah. gosh with master's degrees yeah yeah with master's yeah.
2: degrees and like MBAs
0: and they're you know, making coffee at Starbucks and they're, you know, $100,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. Okay, so wait, so we have to back up. So you yeah. were saying um, you had gotten an offer to Peace
2: Corps. Mm-hmm. So what, did you go to Peace Corps? So I did not. And um, it was really because I had helped to start this this organization, Ohio Student Association. Mm-hmm. And I was working with all these people that I re- I went to Columbus City Schools with, you know, they were kids from Centennial and CAUSE and other, you know, kids that were, were local who had gotten involved. And I went to Fort Hayes and they were all people that I was, you know, had gone to OSU with. And we were starting the statewide organization to organize other students across campuses to get involved in different issues that affect us. Mm-hmm. And you know, sort of, again, learning more about how American policy affects the whole world and how we sort of are the belly of the beast. I was looking, OK, we're young people in Ohio. Our state is, you know, if not the it's one of the most important politically states in the country. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what happens with young people and how we vote and how we advocate and how we show up mm-hmm. in Ohio, mm-hmm. in the states, I mean, we have huge amounts of sort of potential and possibility to make change. Right. And mm-hmm. so that was really part of my decision not to go to the Peace Corps, not to sort of pursue the international track in that sense, but really focus on sort of getting people organized here mm-hmm. and, and seeing how we can start from the place that we're at to, to affect the whole world. Right, well, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, you you hear that argument often in terms of like what you know people will have ambitions like I, I remember this criticism when Oprah opened her school in Africa like why would you go over there and open up a school when all these people are hurting that I mean if Chicago is where she's based out of and I mean everybody it's a hot button topic right now mm-hmm. as far as Chicago is concerned so why not invest that money into this area but I mean um you know everybody has their passion projects and things that they're interested in but like you said i, I think that that's a, a great point like a lot of people are like oh well you know what about these things that are going on in xx x and x place but then you know maybe if you focus on your the area around you sometimes that can influence outward as yeah. well
0: so how did you get involved with um ohio organizing ohio organizing ohio organizing sorry
2: yeah so um ohio organizing collaborative is a statewide. Uh, sort of collaborative of faith, community, student, policy organizations, some labor union members, Mm -hmm. and they help to seed Ohio Student Association. Oh, cool. So Mm -hmm. sort of the organization that I work for really is all about giving ordinary people the tools to get themselves together and fight for themselves and advocate for themselves, Mm -hmm. whether it's on college campuses, in churches, in neighborhoods. At their workplace, I mean, we do all different kinds of organizing, and we support grassroots organizing in in all of its forms. Mm-hmm. And so, they helped seed us. They helped us get to an organization that had a you know, couple hundred thousand dollar budget at certain times, wow. and had multiple staff across the state. You know, communications director, yeah. political director, and organizer. It's legit and now. It was, yeah, it's a legit thing. And so, for me, mm. you know, I'm I'm not a student anymore. It's really important for student organizations to be led by young students, people and right. students and people mm-hmm. who are recent grads you know, eventually you get tired of sleeping on students' couches in the (laughs) University of Toledo or hanging out at the student union in in Dayton, and I've done all of that um, and and loved it and had amazing, just amazing um, time with young people who have so much energy. Um, So sort of, I I took a shift to do more community-based work over the past few years um, in in lots of different forms. But um, yeah, part of it was just like allowing new growth into the student association. Um, Mm. We actually just had our first uh, sort of full leadership transition, so um, just this past month, uh, the last original staff member from Ohio Student Association has transitioned out, wow. and it's still surviving, and so... That's
0: very... It it's is. like your baby. You're like, oh, look, it's still surviving without me. It is. Oh, it my is.
1: Gosh. Do you still feel like... Do, does it feel weird to be that it exists and you're not associated with it in a way?
2: In in the best way.
1: Yeah. It feels super way. weird in a great way. <laughs> That's great. Where
2: like people introduce themselves to me. They're like, oh hey, I'm a member of a high student association or I'm like an organizer with you're OSA. Like, oh, and I'm like, here.
1: So me. <laughs>
2: That's amazing. That's great. It's
1: awesome. So, so what has the transition been like? How's uh servicing the needs of students Versus a community, what is what's that? Yeah, difference? really different. Yeah, um,
2: really different, and it changes every day. I um, over the past year have done more work in in um, sort of faith-based organizations too, which is told mm-hmm. has been like another big shift where I've been learning mm-hmm. a ton. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work. I mean, at, at its root, it's the same, right? Mm-hmm. So the kind of, some of the principles of what, you know, when people say what is organizing, Mm because I think even that is, it's kind of an abstract thing. Agreed. You know, when we talk about how to build, you know, how to build enough power for ordinary people to be able to balance or counterbalance the kind of stuff that's getting shoved down the pipeline from the federal, state, and local level. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, typically if you look throughout history, organized people and organized money or resources or guns or whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. are, are the way that things, happen. Right. Yeah, get done. One way or the other, if you have all the people or if you have all the money yeah. or resources, that's kind of how, how things go down. We tend to not have the money. Mm-hmm. And so most of the work that we do is really centered and focused around how do we bring people together to make sure that their voices are heard, to impact policies, to impact decisions that usually don't include them at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and part of what, you know, when I told my story or a little bit of my story Part of what happens, what the system is so good at, is tricking people into thinking that there's a an individual solution to a collective problem. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sitting here that I couldn't have worked enough hours in the day mm-hmm. to go, to graduate without debt. There's there just weren't yeah. enough hours. There's in the no day. way it wasn't. Right. You know, I tried. And I I could not do it. Mm-hmm. But I was sitting there for for all those years thinking, oh, okay, well, there's something that I did or something my family did. We didn't have enough. It was our fault. I, I lost all that financial aid, and now. Mm-hmm. I'm in this position, mm-hmm. and so when you talk to other young people, and you're like, "You have a bunch of debt. I have a bunch of debt. Really, how is that possible? We're not, we're not rich. It's not like our parents have, you know, like yeah." And so, the um, the sort of process of organizing is really about how we get people together and say, "Okay, any one of us by ourselves can't fix this or solve this. It's actually about us coming together and having right. collective solutions to collective problems."
0: Wow. So what's been what's been kind of your biggest challenge in this role of organizing pre pre-new administration mm-hmm. so because that's i think that's like two very different things now right yeah. so pre new or new administration in the country what was your biggest challenge to get people together especially people our age who i mean honestly like i was very much complacent during this last couple of years. Right. Because it's been great and everything's fine. And I don't really I'm not really in tune with like with the news like I am today. I swear to God, I don't put my phone down at night because I'm too busy trying to figure out what happened today because I was at work because so, I, I didn't look at the news. And yeah. now I have to catch up. And so uh, I want to know what your biggest challenge has been to get people together pre pre Trump.
2: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's an everyday it's mm-hmm. an everyday battle um, because there's all sorts of reasons that people don't get involved. They right. feel like they can't make a difference. Yeah, they feel overwhelmed. There's too many things to fight. There's too m- like how do I even where do I even start? There's yeah. all these different issues. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these different ways you can get involved. Right. For us, um, a lot of the work that we do is really focused on on local issues mm-hmm. and starting with a piece that you can sort of take a bite out of mm-hmm. and and at your local level and really connecting that in a bigger way. Because part of it is, you know, people are talking, okay, we gotta end racism or end poverty. You know, mm-hmm. Good you know, good luck. Who's gonna good join luck. the right. end poverty campaign? I mean like I wanna be part of that campaign. I wanna end racism and poverty, but that's not that's not something that anybody believes that we're gonna be able to do tomorrow. Right. But if you say we're gonna run a campaign to end school suspensions for kids under third grade who are disproportionately black or disproportionately low income or disproportionately, um, you know, struggling with a mental disability or a learning disability, Mm -hmm. that actually helps affect poverty and racism and actually gets at the root and affects real people's lives. Mm -hmm. And you can do that. And you actually have school board members that are elected and and that are accountable to you in theory. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the same folks who show up at the school board meetings are not always are folks right and so um you know the the people who run columbus Mm -hmm. do have people who are ready to to show up at the meetings at any time and who have lobbyists in city hall every day and and you see it even at the local level a lot Mm -hmm. of people are like well our president's crazy trump is mad but but at least you know at least columbus leadership is good but you know just because all of the columbus leadership is underneath one party doesn't mean that they're always looking out for the interests of of people right there's a lot of I mean, we all know the players that run Columbus, it's Ohio State, mm-hmm. it's Nationwide Insurance, it's the banks, it's Cardinal Health. I mean, there there are a handful of players, the Wexners, the Wolves, that run everything. Mm-hmm. They own everything. They have um, their own sort of organizations. They have their own lobbyists. Mm-hmm. And they call most the shots. Right. And yeah. in some ways, they sit above the political leadership of the city. Mm-hmm. If they want something done or they don't want something done. It'll right. get done. That's right. Or it won't get or done. It won't get that's done. right. Yeah. And that's true at the state level, too. There's oil and gas. I mean, we've got lower severance taxes on gas coming out of fracking than Texas. Wow. I did not know did that. I know. That. Right? Yeah. And, and why? Right? Because mm-hmm. there, there are big money power players mm-hmm. that are calling those shots. And mm-hmm. so for us, it's really about how we get people together to start to deepen that analysis that mm-hmm. it actually doesn't matter which fight you pick because it's the same right it's the same bosses at the top and we're all if we can start to see our our different issues is connected mm. all of people getting involved actually helps in in a broader collective way yeah. okay that was yeah that's really intense I was like
0: i had to like think about that for a second i'm like you're absolutely right there are There are only a handful of players really in Columbus that does affect a lot of things because they have all the money. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Truly. But
1: um, I think it needs to be broken down in that way as well because I think. Again, it's it's
0: so opaque. Like Mm -hmm. it's so opaque for everybody. And then when you really. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're all good. Um, For me, like if you didn't break it down like that, I would still continue to. Um, operate under the belief that, yeah, I mean, Columbus is fine. We're going to be like a sanctuary city. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. But when you break it down to the fact of there's there's only really a handful of players in Columbus that do affect change because of all the money they have and all the money they dump in the city, then really they have the power to affect whatever change they want regardless of who is in office, which I think is really fascinating. And
2: the only other thing that is going to able to be a counterbalance to that is enough voters and enough people being yeah. active and saying maybe that's not what we want yeah or maybe our biggest priority isn't this piece of development or this new development complex but maybe our biggest priority is actually the the low-income kids in our city yeah or maybe it's we don't have to have homeless people yeah, yeah. There, there are cities in the states that have decided we're not going to have homeless people yeah mm-hmm. and have you know it's actually cheaper to provide low-income housing for people than it is to do the kind of um, shelter work and emergency care that, and, and even oh, incarceration nice. for, for homeless people. Mm-hmm. And there are cities that are, literally have eradicated homelessness. Wow. So it's about priorities. Yeah.
1: And it's about ho- holding people that have been elected or that you have elected, let's say, it doesn't matter what party, but holding them accountable for the decisions that they make. Because it could be, you know, x particular party and you think that you they've invested maybe, at least they've said the right things. Mm-hmm but then maybe those decisions that are made like to build up a certain area instead of investing into schools per se and that's just an example but uh then they come back around the next election cycle and it's like yeah well i saw what you did though uh that you can say all the right things but that doesn't mean anything um the other thing i think is interesting too is that um like you said it doesn't kind of matter what fight you pick and i think the different fights that people are picking they just need to understand that there are shared goals there because I feel like a lot of times what will happen is that people who are really focused on immigration reform may not have the same views that people who are having issues with police brutality who yep. may not have the same issues with low-income uh, housing or you know I just thinking of those different uh, those are all different issues and people will feel more passionately about a particular issue just based on their background or who they are But by the same token, understanding that those folks that are kind of in those positions of power, they're still the people in positions of power for all of those. That's exactly right. And I think that that needs to be more forward because because often what will happen is crabs in a barrel mentality. Mm -hmm. And it's just people attacking other people on the low level when nothing gets done and then. The same people are still in power. Absolutely,
2: so, and that is the best yeah. tactic of the bosses, right? Of <laughs> the yeah. people who run stuff. Yeah. Is, okay, so if you take the example, so you're talking about schools, right? Mm-hmm. So there have always been issues. I mean, I come to I come out of Columbus City Schools. I love our schools. I think there's amazing things coming uh, through Columbus City Schools, but everybody mm-hmm. knows there's challenges and there's there's right. struggles there. Yeah. What ends up happening is you have kids pointing their teacher their fingers at bad teachers and teachers pointing their fingers at bad parents mm-hmm. and parents pointing their fingers at bad administrators and ba- but really you have to look up the chain a little bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have to look up the chain a little bit and say okay look at the way that our schools are funded mm-hmm. right we have a funding formula for for education that has been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court of Ohio on four or five different occasions wow mm. on four or five different occasions they have said it is fundamentally unconstitutional how we unequally fund schools based on property taxes. Because what that means is if you have expensive properties in your neighborhoods, you're going to have rich schools. And if you yeah. rent and you live in a low-income neighborhood, you're going to have a school that's under-resourced.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's why everybody moves out to right? You know, New Albany or
2: the issue, Upper Arlington. Right, exactly. Yeah. But the issue is that the Supreme Court doesn't have the power to make the legislature do anything about it. Uh. That's us. Okay, mm-hmm. and so that's that's that disconnect where people. I think the pe- one of the things we have to break is this sort of thinking. All oh, the like these laws just like protect us, mm-hmm. because the laws only work when we actually enact you, them. Yes, mm-hmm. and protect mm-hmm. them. And and I'm so glad you brought up the um, the sort of the people talking about different these different issues because that's a big part of what we've been trying to do locally with these different groups. Is you know there are organizations working on immigration and protecting. I mean, there was a third grader whose whose father. Was picked up by ice, outside in the pickup school line,
1: oh, damn. a couple
2: of weeks ago. Wow. wow! And nobody even knows it happened.
0: No, nobody no. even knows it happened. Right. And yeah.
2: imagine being a third grader coming out of school and seeing your and dad run dad dad. away. Right, right. Wow. We've had three pretty high-profile police killings in Columbus over the past year. Yeah. I mean, most recently, Jeron Thomas, some man who called 911 on on himself, mm-hmm. saying I'm having a sort of mental break. I've, I, he self-reported being schizophrenic, having consumed drugs. That I need help. I need a medic. The police came. He ended up in a coma and died a week later. Mm. Wow. Not too long before that, in September, Tyree King. I think that was probably yeah. the the most high-profile. Nice. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a four foot eleven, ninety-five pound boy. Mm-hmm. He was like thirteen.
1: Yeah.
2: Who was running around. And because he had a toy gun on him, uh-huh. a full-grown officer feared for his life according to him and uh-huh. shot and killed this child. Yeah. And and just a couple months before that, in Linden, Henry Green, who was standing like a block and a half away from Linden McKinley High School, was shot and killed by plain officers mm. who were in an unmarked SUV, mm. right? So when we look at how the criminalization of poor people and of black people and people of color in in America happens these are all connected issues sure. I mean even if you look in the in the low income white communities I mean the opiate epidemic oh my god yeah. right it's like crazy. everybody knows somebody who's who's struggling with uh-huh. opiates on some level or another mm-hmm. and the fact that there's always a jail cell available but there isn't always a rehab bed available
1: it's pretty fascinating
2: what is wrong with us yeah. right yeah. right like anybody who wants a rehab bed should get one but right. if you can get a jail bed quicker than a rehab bed, we have our priorities out of whack. Mm-hmm.
1: You could also argue that the people that maybe own those prisons because the prison structure has been so farmed out to third parties that maybe that they would like the free labor that comes with that. Because a lot of these prisons manufacture a lot of goods as well. Yep. Um. And I mean, it's real cheap labor.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Man. No, no, there's absolutely people yeah. profiting off of every little bit of the prison industry. Yeah. And and we've been working locally to try to figure out how to, how do we actually connect, connect those stories and connect those struggles in a way where we've got to get at the root of these problems. We can't police our way out of poverty. We can't police our way out of community violence. We can't police our way out of drug addiction. Mm-hmm. We actually have to start curing and healing communities. Mm-hmm. And that takes more upfront work and investment in education and health and and in the kind of services that actually help people get on their feet, yeah. Because locking people up is just costing us more money, and it's not effective, right? And yeah. it and That's it too. continues to happen anyways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, what? There is a special election coming up here mm-hmm. in in May. I just actually just found out that, that out today. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? I would love to. Okay, good. Because I was like, I saw that somebody had posted on. I'm a part of multiple groups on Facebook, Mm -hmm. like the Indivisible Group and Empower Ohio, so on and so forth. And somebody brought this up and I'm like, I had no clue there was a special election. Yeah,
2: there's a primary coming up. Wow, okay. So how do I even start to (laughs) break (laughs) us break this down? Yeah, so um, Columbus is a really interesting city. So Columbus, I mean, this is my city. I love this city so much. One of the really interesting things about it that a lot of people don't know is we are the largest city in the country that has an all at large city council. So most cities, like a Chicago or, okay. or other you know, major metropolitan areas, they'll have a number of wards or districts, mm-hmm. and then they'll have some council people who are elected at large, so by the entire city. Okay. So usually cities our size would have different districts or wards, but all seven of our city council members are elected by everyone in Columbus. Really? Mm. Yes. That is interesting. So what that means is the threshold for how many people are required to win an election is much higher. So a city council seat is actually very powerful in Columbus. It's more powerful than a state representative seat, for example. Wow. You represent more people because you're an at-large person. Mm. And what that means is it costs more money to run.
0: Mm. And
2: so what you end up with, and there's pros and cons for the at-large versus the district system. You know, usually people who are uh, supportive of of the at-large system, what they say is you don't get bogged down with turf wars. You don't have, you know, the west side fighting the north side fighting the east side for resources. You don't have, you know, a bunch of people who who are infighting. You have more candidates who are looking out for the whole of the city, who Mm -hmm. have the best of the city's interests at heart. People who um, are sort of generally against the kind of way that it's set up is that it creates a lockstep sort of huge barrier to entry. So, you know, somebody could run a grassroots campaign and get elected Mm -hmm. sort of as a community leader to a state rep seat, mm-hmm. theoretically, because there's fewer votes, or it, it requires fewer voters to get there. So it's or if you less had a, money. Yeah, if you had mm-hmm. a ward or a district, you could organize and do more of a grassroots campaign and knock it out, mm-hmm. try to win. But here, you can't, you can't do that. And so, the special election, or what makes it special this time around, is that there are actually people running against the machine, because, mm-hmm. because it's such a high barrier to entry. The actual process of electing and deciding who's going to be our mayor and who's going to be our city council people, mm-hmm. that happens behind closed doors within the Democratic Party. Wow. Because who they endorse, who's on the sample ballot, who's their ticket, is who people vote for. Mm-hmm. Because most people show up on election day, they've never heard of most of the city council people.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. or at least
2: I mean, maybe older folks pay, pay more attention. I'm sort of speaking about our generation. Well, you don't know. True story. I don't even know who our council people are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, true. and no shame,
0: right? Like yeah. that's just, no. I it's, mean, it's true. Most people don't pay attention to that. I and didn't even so, know who our rep was until last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the great uh, Joyce Beattie. She's so great.
1: Often, often, what will happen is that they're looking for jobs, or yeah. they're that's true. Distracted that's true. by social media, mm-hmm. or that's blah, true. Blah, blah, blah,
2: blah. No, there's and and you don't even know. You, and also, they don't come to us. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> like, also true. It's not just on the onus is not just on the people to know who their electeds are. That's true. Elected people should be making sure that they're known in places mm. other than the the halls of power. Right. Yeah. But because of that huge barrier to entry,
1: mm-hmm.
2: basically it's an in-system jockeying and positioning for the anointment on the inside wow. to get on the sample ballot to be the sort of, you know, person who... Who's been anointed. Yeah. And then mm. once they decide who's on the official sample ballot is who gets elected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I in my time of paying attention, I don't know of anyone who's won... A city council seat outside of that. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And so what makes this special election and or what what makes this primary election interesting on May 2nd is that there have been people who have been frustrated with that sort of lockstep machine Mm -hmm. running against them. And so part because part of what it is is if the people that you have to please to get put on the sample ballot Mm -hmm. are Democratic Party insiders, then it's not... It's not any of us. Right. Yeah. right. right. It's not any of the people. It's it's people positioning and jockeying for, for money. And I'll give you an example. So the mayor, I don't know if you guys just saw that, there was a big um, Georgetown development, which is the main developer out at Easton. Mm-hmm. They just got a tax break, 100% tax break, worth almost $70 million wow. to do a bunch of development out by Easton that is supposedly going to feed four million or six million dollars into Linden that they have to pay back over a series of years. So by all accounts, it's kind of a bad deal for the city. Yeah, but yeah. if you look, Georgetown Development cut an eighty thousand dollar check to the mayor's campaign. Mm. Oh. There, there, there you go. Right? And there it is. And there it is. It's like, okay, I see what it is. Yeah. You get your political money on the front end and you get the deals cut later. Mm-hmm. And Columbus We're not Youngstown, Ohio, or, you know, Warren or Springfield. We're not cities that have shrinking populations, Mm -hmm. you know, that have rusty steel mills where people have to do whatever it takes to create jobs. Columbus has a huge growing trajectory, population growth trajectory. It's thriving. International community. Columbus is thriving. We don't have to give away huge tax breaks for people to build stuff here. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's the way that the wheelers and dealers use their influence and power to get what they need. Mm-hmm. And so these people who are running for for office for May second are sort of challenging that tide and saying there's actually stuff going on in our neighborhoods that you're not paying any attention to that you're yeah. not. I mean, we just there was a shooting over the weekend. 18 mm. um, year old friend of mine works at a, at his school was shot and killed over on the east side, and this is part of you know escalating violence that's been going back and forth. Two other kids were shot. Um, they weren't. Sort of one one I think is home from the hospital, the other one is still there, but city's not saying anything about that, yeah, they're not rushing in with resources for that. Yeah. They're worried about the developers on the east side, right or right. or on the northeast side by it. By, you know, it's gonna be East and Light, it's not gonna be Linden development. Right. And and the question is always for who, right? Once you invest in neighborhoods, do the people who live there get to stay there? Do the people who live there get to take advantage of those resources? Mm -hmm. So these are kids who are living on the near east side of Columbus. Are they taking part in all the growth and opportunity? You know, is it reaching them? Not Mm -hmm. usually. And so to us, you know, we actually need to invest in the communities that are hardest hit by lack of opportunity. Um, you know, lack of resources, lack of education, lack of, you know, what people need to just to thrive, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that should be our compass and our orientation is how do we get us to a better and more equitable playing field? Right. And so I, you know, the fact that people are running is phenomenal, because what that, what that causes, it causes the city to actually work. Yeah. Because even people, you know, are they going to win? Who knows? but even people running for office is kind of out of the ordinary for Columbus. Yeah, Yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah, like Democrats are allergic to primaries. I mean, this is what happened with Bernie and and Hillary, right? Yeah, Yeah. People freaked out because you're not supposed to really challenge the
1: larger power base. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, you saw the Republicans had clown cars filled with candidates all running against each other. Oh my gosh,
0: those debates were hilarious. They were crazy. They were crazy. Well, so, I mean, I, up to... I think this last election, I never voted for primaries. Mm -hmm. I barely ever voted for, um, like, local elections. Mm -hmm. Like, during special primaries like this, or special elections. And um, during, like, 2008, I think, I was in college. And, you know, Obama was a candidate back then. And I went to go see him when he was at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. I went to go see him when he was in Dublin high school. I mean, that was kind of my first introduction to... American politics. Like I I I didn't grow up here. I grew up in a third world country, and my father was a political scientist. And so he focused on, you know, Turkish military and Latin America military mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So like I've always had that education, but I've never paid attention to American politics. I still didn't, even after Obama won. I mean, I voted for him, I voted for him in 2012, yeah. you know, so on and so forth. But did I look at down ballot? Certainly no. not. Mm-mm. Up until last year. So last year, you know, obviously it was a huge deal. Yeah. We voted in the primaries. We voted for Bernie. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, like we both were like, he's not going to win, but I'm going to vote for him anyways, because I am not a big fan of Mrs. Clinton, Secretary yeah. Clinton, you know, but like we have to try. Yeah. So we did. And obviously he didn't win. But then we joined Hillary's campaign. My aunt is an organizer in upper Arlington and she was involved in the Obama campaign on and so forth. So we did that. And so like, we really kind of got to know the down ballot races, mm-hmm. like really kind of reading it and paying attention. And like, I would like Google it and like see who all these people are. And, you know, after the election, it was weird. Cause I'm like, I don't, I didn't used to care. And it's now like, okay, who, and then special election. I'm like, what's this and who's running and yep. how do I even begin to, understand what's at stake here because i mean we i love columbus too like i've lived here almost all my life and i want to see neighborhoods that are not doing so great do better because if if and when we decide to have a kid i don't want to have to move to the suburb for a better school district i want to be able to send my kid down the street to the school right here because it's close yeah you know and i don't want to have to pay a ridiculous amount of property taxes just to get a tiny, tiny house, so my kid can go to a nice school. So that's why, you know, I'm curious about this election, uh, this primary election, the special election, because I want to know if, like, what exactly is on this ballot? Like, what's happening? Is it going to make a giant difference if something, if, like, the tides do turn?
2: I mean, that's, what you're sort of naming in, in your own personal experience mm-hmm. is, I think, one of the biggest problems mm-hmm. creating the kind of inequality in Ohio that mm-hmm. we have to figure out. Yeah. If I knew the answer to why this is, yeah. I would I, yeah. run, run for office. <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> but, but part of the problem, so the Republican base uh, is whiter, older, mm-hmm. and um, sort of spread out more rural, right? Mm-hmm. They vote consistently. Voting is part of their culture. Mm-hmm. They vote locally. They vote at the state elections. They yep. vote at the national levels. They vote every time. Mm-hmm. We there, there's a um, there's a phrase that's common that I, I think is funny that uh, Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we get excited about Bernie. We get excited about Obama. I mean, yeah. like I just I was sobbing on election day when Obama got elected. Yeah. 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 Same. And. <laughs> and I, you know, I think I'm generally more progressive than most Democrats are on mm-hmm. most issues. Mm-hmm. I think that part of what's happened is Democrats over the past 30 years have become more and more conservative to the point where Senator Warren or Bernie Sanders, they seem like these like progressive Radical. beacon yeah. radicals. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, but they, they're just what Democrats should be, in my mm-hmm. opinion. They're what Democrats used to be in mm-hmm. most of their policy positions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Obamacare was was first a Republican health care initiative. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like it came out of Mitt the Romney, Romney. Stuff. Yeah. yeah.
2: So when we, even when we look at our frame of reference. I whole, just learned that. Sorry. Yeah, the whole thing <laughs> has shifted to the right Yeah. recently, right? Yeah. And so we get excited about people and charismatic folks, mm-hmm. but we're not paying attention to the people who fund our schools and our rec centers, mm-hmm. the people who draw the lines of the state to decide where our where our geographical boundaries are. Yeah. I mean, this state is carved up like a puzzle. And both the Democrats and the Republicans have allowed very, very partisan, they call it gerrymandering, you know, when it's when it's drawn up. There's literally a district that goes from an area up in Cleveland Mm -hmm. across the top of the state, literally just on a road over to Toledo so that they can put all the people (laughs) of color into one district rather than having them actually spread out and start to sway others. That is okay. So I did not learn about this is so sad.
0: I did not learn about gerrymandering until the day after the election. Right.
1: I mean, but like, I
0: was like freaked out. My you best... always get a
1: pass because you didn't. Again, you didn't grow up here. Really, yeah, so. I did
0: take one. So I, my last year of high school was here at UA, and I took a um, a government class. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember anything of it. But, anyways, the day after the election, you know, I'm like wiping my tears and trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do next. And then I was talking to my good friend, and he's like. And he lives in the short north. He literally lives on First and Neal. And he's like, he's like, well, you know, I mean, the state is completely gerrymandered. I'm like, wait, hold on. What was that word? Let's talk yeah. about that. And so he, we were talking about our reps. And I looked at my rep, like, oh, mine's Joyce Beattie. And she, and he's like, yeah, mine's Stivers. And my, and so he showed me on the map how mm-hmm. it was cut. And I was flabbergasted. We don't live very far from each other. I mean, he lives like, 10 minutes away how is that carved out so bizarrely like he's got like upper Arlington and then like this weird chunk of rural Ohio and I'm like and Beatty's got like this tiny little piece of the pie right downtown Columbus so it's that to me blew my mind I was like I don't even understand how this works out so isn't that um aren't the lines about to get redrawn here they are
2: Okay. When so,
0: isn't that coming up here pretty soon? Is the 2018? Yeah. So well,
2: no, it's 20. I think it's 2020. Okay. Um. So the but the elections in 2018 mm-hmm. will decide who are the people whose hands are drawing the map. Ah. So. Okay. Yeah. So okay. 2018 is a is, it's a do or die for us in Ohio. Like yeah. I, mean, I, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes thinking about it. Like yeah. I really do because. So much of the things that I care about yeah. and our ability to change them mm-hmm. has to do with that fact. It has to mm-hmm. do with the 2018 elections and if our people are going to go to sleep or not. And yeah. so our ability to fight for funding, for local governments, for right. schools, our ability to do all sorts of things affects, is affected by who draws the lines mm-hmm. on the map. And and I, the reason I brought that up is because I think people have learned their lesson but the last time there was an opportunity to do redistricting reform, mm. the Democrats were the ones who tried to do a winner take all, mm. and it ended up biting them in the behind because
1: you can curse on that. Okay, problem. I was I, I wasn't, wasn't, wasn't sure. sure. Yeah, it it's totally right.
2: explicit. We're fine. Yeah. So yeah, I mean they they tried to they were they thought that they it was after Obama got elected. This was in 2010. They thought that they had it easy breezy. Mm-hmm. So they thought, okay, well if we change the the districts to a way that's nonpartisan the way that's fair mm-hmm. you know we'll lose power we have a winner take all right now kind of attitude and it bit him in the ass mm-hmm. it totally did and mm-hmm. and we have the lines that we do because of insider democratic party politics wow and so if we're not pushing
0: mm-hmm.
2: i mean we live in a two-party system and mm-hmm. so um even though i am more progressive than most democrats and i think that most of the democrats are too conservative the reason that i don't um I'm not interested, I'll say, in right now in fighting for a third party, is because we have a winner-take-all system. Mm-hmm. It's not a parliament where if you win 30% of the vote, yeah. you get 30% of the representation. Yeah. If we had that, that would be different. Mm-hmm. We live in a two-party system. So, you know, th- there are places where you can elect third-party members at the local level, and so that's potentially viable. But because our state governments are really where the levers of power are held... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a two-party system, yeah. yeah,
0: and that's that was kind of my biggest, well, not my biggest issue, but one of my biggest issues this past uh, election is you know, people are like, well, they're both bad and I'm you know I'm not gonna I'm not so gonna some, even show up or I'm yeah. gonna vote third party and yeah. and it was very hard to have that discussion of like, this is not how that works. Like it, we are a two-party system. like you have to pick one. and those who did ended up going the other way, and you're like, well, Congratulations, everybody. Here yeah. we are. Shout here out to we Jill Stein are.
1: for getting all that money for the recount. Where, where's that money at? <laughs> yeah, hey Jill. <laughs> hey, doing? Jill.
0: Where's that money? Um, so okay, so that kind of brings us to activism 101, right? Yeah. So here we are. We are 60 days into the new administration. Obviously, you're focused more. <laughs> I know it's like, oh my God, bury my head in the sand right now for four years. But we can't stop being engaged, right? Yeah. People were so angry. And still are obviously like we see that people are running for special elections. Mm-hmm. People are joining, you know, she's uh, what is it called? She's running or something like there's mm-hmm. there's a women's organization for that, and then Emily's list and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So like there are things in motion, but what can we do in a local level yeah. to say okay, it's if we want change, it's got to start here. So what can people do um, to help with that change?
2: So there's a lot i think um you know what i always say to everybody is level up yeah from where you're starting at what is the next level up for you because Mm -hmm. it's going to be different for everybody Mm -hmm. i don't have kids you know i have more time than people with kids so i don't expect the same level of involvement from everybody right but everybody does have an ability to do a little bit more than what they're doing right now Mm -hmm. and um sort of joining grassroots organizations is is a huge and needed and I think number one thing—it's the most fun. It's actually about getting in relationship with people in your community, mm-hmm. because you know most people don't even know their neighbors. I mean, it's that's true. It's super true. I mean, and it's not even—it's no no shame on anybody. Yeah. But but getting involved in local organizations is really what helps you build community, so that you can organize and actually advocate for yourselves, and pay attention to what our local Democrats are doing. Yeah. You know, pay yeah. attention to figure out who your city council. You know, our, our city council is here. Hmm our mayors here these are all democrats who should be doing more mm-hmm. all the time and need to be pushed mm-hmm. um and then you know i think what you talked about there's all these different groups that have been popping up around resisting sort of trump's administration's policies and i think sometimes people feel like oh they're just protesting it's not going to do anything mm-hmm. i had a friend call me after the election um from mexico city she's a really close friend of mine who's really involved in in social movement work down there and she said i know how you feel they have a pretty horrific corporate president that was elected sort of 4 years ago so we're somewhat in a place like they were before mm-hmm. and she said don't lose up don't lose hope for the resistance because if you don't resist sort of the power of what they can do is is unimaginable yeah so even though it feels like an overwhelming and huge thing to stop the Trump administration because they've gotten to power and they have so much money mm-hmm. and they've put these like legitimately evil people in so evil so powerful so many powerful positions. Mm-hmm. I mean like Nazis and warlords and corporate yeah CEO yeah. like what's the what's the bad guy from uh, like Scrooge you know like the, <laughs> like the Donald ducks yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just like oh, rolling in, in gold coins yeah and they're like, like, like just jumping in coins like Swying. we have like those are the people running our government but they haven't been able to govern effectively. Oh, man. Yeah, They've been stumbling over themselves because every time they try to do something, one, they have no experience governing, so they don't know what they're doing. Right, right. And two, people aren't having it.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I mean, okay, so this was something that Brandon and I talked about right after the election, and I was completely depressed, I'm as I'm sure a lot of people were. But the one thing that he keeps reminding me is that this is, I think it was maybe a good thing that this happened. That I think, because of this, people like you and people like us will now wake up and say, okay, you know what? Well, like you've always been woke, but like, I'm not, you know, like, I'm like, what? I don't care. Now I do care. Now I, I do, you know, look, read the news. Now I do listen to different, try to listen to different points of view. It's sometimes really hard to listen to conservatives talk about politics these days. It's like, I don't know how disconnected you are, you know, Mm -hmm. but this was a really kind of important step for us to take, I guess, as a country to say, okay, you know what? Like, that's not, that's not okay. So we're going to do something about it. It's going to start now.
2: Um, Did you go to, to DC for the women's March? You know, I didn't, I really wanted to, but I had, I sort of had prior commitments here and I was really inspired by, by the whole thing. Um, You know, I, I, I think there are a lot of young people especially who are growing up in a generation like, I mean, some of the high school kids that I've encountered who are leading and, I mean, it's just, there's there's a generational shift happening that, you know, the way that when we were kids, LGBT issues were not what they are now. And I think we have an entire generation of young people who are growing up with resistance and social movement work and, politics and protest and see themselves as agents in that. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that's a silver lining and a blessing to all of this sort of nastiness hate and darkness and nastiness. Yeah. And and I also think that it's important that we don't dehumanize uh, Trump supporters. Right. Absolutely. That's been my toughest my toughest <laughs> struggle yeah. has
0: been this because yeah. you you I mean, you know, you listen to them when they get interviewed on TV and you're just like, I don't get it. So I there's don't get it. Especially especially in
2: Ohio, yeah. right? Because our state, you know, we're not California, mm-hmm. we're not Texas, we don't have a 30% Latino population. Right. I mean, we're pretty much black and white with a small sort of set of other minorities. And there are a lot of working class and low-income white people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. And being told that they're privileged and that the, our government is white supremacist you know, just, it's not language that they can hear. Yeah. Whether, I, I mean, I agree with those things, but um, I I think that we have to really look at, I mean, they're, they're calling them deaths of despair and how sort of the growing fastest rising cause of death for like middle-aged white men are deaths of despair, which are wow. drugs, alcohol, and suicide. Holy crap, wow. Mm-hmm. Right, so we actually have to look at what's going on in communi- communities across Ohio where people don't have an ability to, in a dignified way, provide for themselves and their families. Right. Yeah. And these are people who used to have that. Yeah. Right? They're, they're communities that are not used to having nothing. Mm-hmm. And what that's done over a generation where, you know, you see the opiate crisis, you know, sort of directly overlaps. I saw a map recently, heroin and opiates directly overlay with where Trump won.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That I did read that. it, it was. It wasn't here. It was like West Virginia or something. Yeah. That was the big state that had all of the opiate crisis, but that was also where he won big. Yeah, which and, is and we have little, to we know. have
2: to really look at the fact that there are struggles going on in communities across Ohio that, honestly, for us that live in yeah. sort of the urban centers, mm-hmm. we don't understand all the way. Yeah, and we when you look at the map of red and blue, mm-hmm. it's pretty much like that across the country. You have urban cores that have sort of are islands of blue mm-hmm. and then you have less populated but more dense or less dense but but a pretty populous rural region across the state that went red. Mm-hmm. And so the problems that they're dealing with are actually not that different, but they look different, mm-hmm. right? And they and the message that's reaching them is different. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that was so amazing to me during the election is that so many people could have so many conversations and so much dialogue that was totally parallel and not intersecting. Yeah,
1: it's the well, and it's the culture of you've we've all created chamber. our yeah our own bubbles. Yes, we all let, can mute any idea that we don't like. I and, certainly do that. I'm sorry. I mean, but and. You know sometimes people take it too personally and they internalize those those thoughts and so maybe yeah and that that may be something that you have to do in order to be able to survive but Mm -hmm. by the same token like that creates these echo chambers where yes they are very analogous or very similar issues and they don't even realize it it's the, the thing i always like laugh about as far as um people who are uh, Islamic ex- extremists and those who are Christian extremists. Mm-hmm. Like if they really listen to each other, they are saying the exact same thing. And it's wild because yeah. it's like, oh, you guys would get along so well if you right. we were on the same page. Right. It'd be amazing. Yeah, but and, and yeah. terrifying at the same time. Oh well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no, no. But like, you you see what I'm saying? Like, I mean, they they have there's all these different ideas out here, and if people have more dialogue and we're will- not have a hard heart about it, but more so just understand. Uh, that this is a person, this is this person's right. ideas, and I may not agree with all their ideas, but I respect their. Not even try to change their ideas or co- try to come to, to some consensus. Just listen to them, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: No, that, that's totally right, and I think the the echo chambers, to me, were that's that's part of what we have to figure out how to overcome. Yeah,
1: and it's going to be harder. It harder is, harder. you
2: know, and and you know, to go back to we talked about criminalization earlier, and mm-hmm. you know, I think. Personally that race is one of the biggest tools that are dividing mm-hmm. all of our communities because 100%. you know Before it was opiates, you know, it was crack. Yeah. in in urban areas and because it was seen as a black Issue yeah. and a black problem. The answer was to criminalize it. It was to arrest people I mean, you know, you talk to folks who say, oh, I'm glad everybody cares about heroin now yeah. and human trafficking victims now, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. right? Because these are people who need treatment and need help, but mm-hmm. but when it was the black community and it was crack, they called them crack babies and crack whores, and they needed to be sent to prison forever.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Yeah. And so we actually have to have a deeper question and conversation yeah. in a state like ours about, you know, this when we say Black Lives Matter, right? Like, Black Lives Matter is not just about policing. Like, to Black Lives Matter... Were was crack and heroin an epidemic in the black community that deserved treatment and healing and support or is that just happen when it's girls who look like me who are you know all of a sudden on a republican campaign ad for because they overdose on heroin and so now this is a problem that's that's humanized and and is deserving of treatment and so how we have that conversation where we start at the fact that everybody out here is struggling but we need to come together if we're going to be able to overcome this and there's mm-hmm. really only a handful of people at the very very top who are profiting off of
1: all of it. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the hardest part because again that that's why it's so interesting sometimes to hear her perspective because I am I try not to be jaded by all of this cuz I'm old enough to like I was born in 83, so I lived through Reagan, I lived, mm-hmm. lived through Bush 1 lived through Clinton, lived through Bush too, like, I know I've lived through enough to almost be jaded by like people saying like, oh, well, we got to do this. Cause like you're dealing with 300, 400 years of people being divided in that way, yep. that that specific way. Uh, but I don't know, it's, it, it, but she helps me with that perspective because she's coming from a place of like, I don't even understand that aspect of it. That's yeah. why th- and i'm saying she meaning rita because yeah. and I, th- I think that's beneficial and i think that's why you know your voice is so important um you know as far as uh, here because if we don't have that kind of outside perspective but still inside perspective mm-hmm. then people can get jaded and lost real quick
0: yeah it's i under it's really hard for me when we talk about race relations because as A person that grew up in another country and I was part of a majority where I come from. Mm -hmm. I never This is gonna sound really awful, but like when I came here, it you know, I went to school my last year of schooling was in Upper Arlington, which is a you know, mostly white, uh upper middle class. And then I went to Ohio State. My first year was in a dorm and then I got a full time job and I lived in an apartment down on campus and I've never I don't know, like it's never been This is again I'm gonna sound super shallow, but like I've never been affected by that. Yeah. You know, like some people that look like me have had a a harder time because, oh, well, you know, my name if my full my full full name is a Muslim sounding name, right? And then um I look the way I do, I'm I'm darker complexion and so on and so forth and I've never thought of it as something that would hinder me because that's not how I was raised. My parents never told me that, you know, like, oh, well, when you go to America, it's going to be different because you're a minority. It's a good perspective to have though. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So when the, the the first time that the way I look has become a problem or not even a problem, but like it's been a hindrance was right after nine eleven, mm-hmm. you know, like I was going to travel and they looked at my ID and, you know, quote, air quotes, random searches. And it's like, I'm, this is not random anymore. Nope. You're pulling me out every time. I'm an American citizen, you know. So like, right, of course, right after uh, the election, like I immediately was like, this is awful, you know, because not only because of what else is going to happen to other people in a bigger scale to those people that has voted for this man that is probably gonna get hit the hardest with all the policies and all the budget cuts and whatnot, but also, you know, in a more selfish kind of way, like what's going to happen to people like me, you know, are my parents going to be able to visit me because they live in a majority Muslim country. It's not on that quote unquote travel ban yet, but it might be. Right. But I don't know, maybe Trump's doing business there. So maybe it's going to be okay. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's that stuff. And like, I guess it is an outside perspective and I always feel bad when I ask Brandon like why is it why is it so it's so the 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 race discussion is so crisp even in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Even worse I feel.
1: It's a lot of vitriol. And I mean because again you're dealing with four hundred years of that same yeah. discussion. Yeah. Uh and it it's it's a you know, it's a struggle. But I again it's been it's been a tool that is a cudgel that has been used to then separate people who then Otherwise, would be able to organize, unify, and have more of an influence, or a say, or back in the day, maybe even overthrow things. Yeah. And that's really, yeah. honestly, why that's, that's exactly. dangerous. That's and uh,
2: and our inability to deal with that fact and that mm-hmm. history, I think, is really part of it. Yeah. yeah, because you know, like you said, I mean, if you go back originally, there were white mm-hmm. sort of indentured s- slaves or indentured servitude sort of people coming from Europe. Native indigenous Americans mm-hmm. and African slaves who had been brought from the continent of Africa. And in order to prevent them from rebelling and uprising against the white landowners, mm-hmm. they had created a system of laws that preferenced white people over black people over Indians. Mm-hmm. right? And so what that actually did was if you ran away and you got caught, you'd get another eight years of indentured servitude. But if you ran away and you got caught with a black person, mm-hmm. you'd be killed. Wow. Right, and so the system of laws, even the the first police officers were created and codified to to catch runaway slaves. And so the fact that you know, I, I was talking to a woman recently who um, comes out of peace studies, and she does sort of peace processes and international reconciliation stuff in war torn genocide areas in Africa. And she mm-hmm. said the United States qualifies for on on every bucket for needing a, a um, reconciliation. Processes the way they had in South Africa or other places. Mm. We had years of slavery, right? And then another like many 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 decades of codified Racial injustice, right? Mm -hmm. Jim Mm -hmm. Crow and and I think that's part of what we forget is if you look at the the sort of the timeline of U.S. History the vast majority of it there was slavery, Mm -hmm. right? And then there was a period of Jim Crow And then there was an even smaller period of the civil rights sort of era, where people were struggling, and and now quote unquote we're free, and everybody's the
0: same.
2: Yeah, Yeah. this is a relatively small chunk of time, Mm -hmm. and and our inability to deal with that history, Mm -hmm. and to to not not take it personal. I mean, I I think that's a big part of it too. Is you know I benefit from white privilege. Mm Does that mean that everything was handed to me easy? No. Mm-hmm. And does that mean that that I can't be involved and, and helping to change this? No. And does mm-hmm. it mean that it's my fault? No, it just is. Mm-hmm. And we've got to... We've got to stop making, it's the individualism of, of, you know, America, where people say, you know, it's all about me. It's it's just not. It's about us. And we've got to figure out how to get over these things together and be able to name it and talk about it if we're going to be able to move forward. Right.
1: It's an incredibly mature perspective to have, especially for somebody who is as young as you are. So, yeah, no, it's true, though.
0: (laughs) No, okay, so I, so this is, speaking of race and what you do, have you ever found it to be an issue to be, a white girl a white girl like this is this is like a you know i'm always curious about that because it's do you get pushback
2: yeah um it's in lots of ways i mean it's interesting because there you know there are certainly things that people will say in front of me that they won't say in front of black people or Mm -hmm. other people of Mm -hmm. color and so on on one hand, it's in some ways it's easier for me to go have conversations about race because all I can catch people off guard in yeah. groups of white people where they're just like, oh, wait, what? You know, you can you can push. Um, I think part of what I've had to learn, um, getting involved in racial justice work at different points in time, mm-hmm. is one that I I mean I'm here to support and help sort of follow and lift up other people's voices. I'm not the center of any sort right. of movement that's not about me. Mm-hmm. You know the sort of there's a principle that we talk about a lot in organizing um, that a friend of mine, Ruben, always says was no, there should be no tables about us without us, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. that's a big part of what happens is you know Nationwide Children's Hospital and the City of Columbus and United Way will all decide that they're going to create a you know a task force to end poverty, but they don't actually have any poor people there. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they don't actually they <laughs> include don't the people who are yeah. affected by yeah. the problems at the table. Yeah. Right. And so you know, directly impacted people have to be at the front of leading whatever movement is about their own lives and their right. own survival and thrival. Thrival? Thriving. <laughs> Thri- that <laughs> should be a over there. Thrival Thri- is over yeah. there. Yeah, I, I, know, five but, but that, I don't know about um, We'll so make I, it a word for today. Yes. One of the things that I think I've had to learn is regardless of the work that I do, I move in the world as a white woman. Mm-hmm. And what that means is everybody's going to have a set of assumptions about who I am mm-hmm. just based off of me walking in a room. And so, to me, things move at the speed of relationships. And people trust you when you get to know them, mm-hmm. not when you say the right thing right, or try to prove you're down or woke or <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever the term. yeah it, it's about consistency over time, about being in relationship with people mm-hmm. and also being aware of the fact that you know, as a white woman in sort of nonprofit social justice work or whatever, you know, people see me and they're not immediately necessarily going to trust me. Yeah. And I don't have to take that personal and assume that it's all about me, but I need mm-hmm. to take my time and get to know any, and this is true in any community, any group of people that you're right. working with, um, because in a lot of ways, I represent that, you know, sixth grade teacher that was racist as hell mm-hmm. and treated you like shit. Mm-hmm. or I was that, you know, woman at jobs and family services who talked to your mother like a piece of trash, mm-hmm. or I was that principal who suspended you on some bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, or, or whatever. And and I manifest that, mm-hmm. right? Until I'm in relationship with you and you know otherwise. You know, I've had conversations with people. I've done a lot of work around criminal justice reform and supporting those movements. You know, they're like, yeah, there were a lot of white lady P.O.s in my, um, you know, that I've had to deal with. And like, I don't necessarily trust ladies because they were correction officers and they were parole officers that I had to deal with, and you know I'm I'm just from the jump not necessarily going to trust white women, and like that just is yeah doesn't mean that I don't have a good relationship with that person, but right. it it does take time, and yeah. so yeah, so I I think just being being willing to learn and willing to get feedback is the other thing too. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're doing interracial work, and this is across all sorts of. You know, it's it's men working with women mm-hmm. and being able to listen and hear like maybe what what you said out loud in your head doesn't seem like a problem, but the impact that it had on somebody else. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm on that side of the table all the time, right? Yeah. So it's about how you actually learn how to listen and receive feedback mm. and ask for it and and be willing to grow. Yeah, mm. that's interesting.
0: Still, um. Okay, so Brandon, did you have anything else?
1: No, that I mean, that that pretty much says it all.
0: Okay, I, I have to ask you, normally it's, you know, we always ask for the three pieces of advice you would give to your younger self. But I think um, I would like to hear three pieces of advice you would give to somebody who wants to be involved in their community.
1: You tweaked it. Yeah, I Tweaked, did. It, tweaked it a little bit. I see On you. the
2: spot. Um, don't be afraid. Okay. Because... You know, your grandma who follows you on Facebook or whoever. You know, I've, I've been on blogs, you know, I've called, being called a race traitor. And I've been, wow. you know, yeah, I've, I've gotten some crazy stuff. I've had handwritten letters sent to my mom's house. Oh, what? Like, on stationery, like weird. No. Yes. On oh, yeah. stationery, nonetheless. <laughs> yep. I mean, I've gotten Damn. emails They told me to get AIDS and die. Like, we've had, yeah. All right. Yeah, no, I mean, we've. But, like, at the end of the day, they're, they're Internet trolls.
1: Yeah, you know mm.
2: and and that is so small because
1: how often have they said that to your face
2: never Exactly. never so. ever never mm. and and that is it's so small compared to the like hundreds of people that i talk to on a regular basis who are right. like oh my god what you said i just like i've been thinking that but i you know i didn't want to say it yeah. or i didn't know how to say it or i didn't know how to You know, for every one person that pushes back or has something smart to say, there's 50 who are, like, motivated, inspired, and wanting to figure out, like, that's real, or that made me think, or, you know, so I think one, just, like, not being afraid of of what other people are going to think. The second piece of advice I would say is get involved somewhere. Mm -hmm. Don't be immobilized by the scale of the world's problems. Don't freeze. Mm. Don't freeze. We don't need a bunch of frozen people sitting Mm -hmm. on their hands crying or depressed people talking Mm -hmm. about how bad it is. Get involved. Pick a fight because the same people who are the targets of one fight are the targets of all the fights. It's a small number of people and they run all of it. So Mm -hmm. we need people getting involved locally, the state level. We need people resisting all the bullshit that's coming out of Trump's administration because if we don't resist the kind of stuff that they're going to pull next is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's already crazy now. Right. Yeah. Right. And if there was silence,
0: oh, thank God there isn't though.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there are tons and tons of people who are getting involved and we have mm-hmm. to keep that pressure up. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the stakes are just going to get higher. I mean, like, like I said, there are people in our community getting deported. Yeah. There are people in our community who can't be connected with their families because of the travel ban. Like we have to, yeah. I mean, the the ACA is going to affect Trump supporters and and not alike. Like, I mean, that's, yeah. people are going to die. Yeah. People yeah. are going to die. Was it 24 million, they said, would be affected. Yeah, sure.
0: 17 in 2017, or 14 million in 2017 alone yeah. mm-hmm. would be affected by that. And, yeah, I don't. It's crazy. And, and actually, like, that's a really good one because I do freeze because I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even. Where do I start? Because yep. there's a lot of shit that I don't agree with and, and I don't even know where to start. And so, you know, that's a really good one. Pick. Just pick one. Pick, pick one, one and start do it somewhere. Because
2: the, the biggest problem is isolation. Mm-hmm. Like you feel when you feel alone is when you mm-hmm. get frozen. Mm-hmm. And it's about being in organizations where you're with other people and you don't have to have all the answers because there are some people who are great at strategy, and maybe what you do is cook really good food, and that's why yeah. people come to the events. There's a role for everybody in organizations. We always need childcare. I mean, I've got a handful of people who they don't, you know, they're not going to come out, they're not going to knock doors, they're not going to make phone calls, they're not going to come to a protest, but they will watch kids when mm-hmm. moms want to come to an event or That's a forum great. or a thing, right? So there's there's a role for everybody. Mm-hmm. Just because you don't think of yourself as political doesn't mean you shouldn't get involved. You should get involved. Mm. That's awesome. Um, and then my third piece of advice. Hmm. I feel like I want it to be really good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll feel be like fine. Like came so far
2: up. it's been really great. Right. Hmm. Okay. So I think um, my third piece of advice, I think, is connected to the second around not freezing. Don't think that you are everything. It's it's actually, um, you know, we are not starting this fight. This is a fight that's been on, on. for yeah. hundreds, not thousands of years, and it's going to continue after us. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we're necessarily going to see the end of. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have some level of faith that, you know, you might be planting a seed, you might be watering it, you might be adding light onto it, but you're not the whole process, mm-hmm. right? You're one very important piece of a bigger whole and a bigger scope of history. And so for me, I think that's always helpful to not, you know, to, to humble myself in that and say, mm-hmm. you know, it it's not my job to finish the fight, but I am obligated to get involved right now in my community. Because mm-hmm. regardless of, of, you know, whether you believe in in sort of God or you go to church or whatever your religion is, if you think all people were created, you know, in, in inherent worth, or if you just think that we're all the same biological organisms that have the same blood and are moving around on the same earth, Mm -hmm. you know, the earth is going to be fine. People talk about doomsday stuff like the earth adapts. It will be fine. The question is, are we going to make it a place that works for us? Right. And so, For me, I think what I, when I start to feel overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. that's what I try to remind myself is I'm, I'm one person in a big scope of history Mm -hmm. and, and it's my job to be in relationship with my community and be involved in this, this long process that, you know, I didn't start and I'm not going to finish. Okay. Well, that was really good.
1: That was great. Are you
2: ever going to run for office?
1: Yeah. Ask the question.
2: Um, I'm not going to blanket say no. It is not in my cards right now. Uh Um, If I thought that what the people needed me to do was to run, if I thought it would be what sort of would be most beneficial, I would do it. Um, But right now, where we're at, I I just don't see a pathway where being a political office holder gives me any more power than what you're doing right now. Than what I'm doing right now.
1: Makes sense. That's fair.
2: Cool.
0: Okay, so if people want to get involved, yes, uh, where can they go to w- sign up?
2: www.columbuspeople.org. Oh, columbuspeople.org. Columbus yes. And then awesome. you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Columbus People.
1: Sweet. That's awesome.
0: Molly, Please follow. thank you so, so much. Okay, that was our conversation with Molly. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with us and giving us some really great Tips and insights on how to be more active in your community.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As Molly had said, uh, the organizations in question are the Columbus People's Partnership as well as the Ohio Organizing Collaborative. Um, Those both, are both on Instagram. Both great to uh, follow and get some ideas for meetings that they may be having, um, you know, uh, other ways that you can contribute as well. Sweet. Definitely. If you're going to follow them, why don't you follow us as well?
0: Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can get the newest one whenever it drops. We will be adding more um, more programming here fairly shortly. And you don't want to miss out on those because they'll be super fun.
1: Things are coming.
0: And uh, also don't forget to rate us and review us for those who have done so. Thank you so much. Thank you very um, much. It's very much appreciated. Um, we are also on, let's see, we're on instagram obviously it's still under my instagram it's rita remixed that's r-i-t-a-r-e-m-i-x-e-d and we're also on facebook it is facebook.com slash remember to floss
1: yes and you can reach me on instagram at uh be wise live b-w-i-s-e-l-i-v-e true story yes same on the twitters and the SoundClouds and anywhere else you may be interested in reaching me and uh yeah, I think that's going to be it for this week. How about you, Rita? Uh,
0: I think that's it. Oh, don't forget to come to the website, remember, remember to floss.com. We always have new contributing writers, um fun articles to read. We're going to be ramping up on that as well. Planning is just a lot of work, you guys.
1: It's it's factual.
0: Content is hard. <laughs>
1: you guys aren't trying to hear that. You just trying to have the content, so it's fine. <laughs> All
0: right, all right, guys. I'll so have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.